In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who gives us a song that we may sing, and a song that we might hear. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I think it was Julia Sloan who first described me in this way. She said, Pastor Jay, you are a music nerd. And, and I, I appreciate that. I, I enjoy that, that nomenclature because uh, I am a little bit of a music nerd. Um, uh, I, I listen to some pretty kind of crazy stuff. And, um, and I, I began my life as a music nerd because uh, my parents brought me up to um, uh, just really enjoy listening to music. And um, uh, from uh, very little, uh, they would stick me in front of this big kind of console speaker system that they had, and they would put on uh, classic music, and my mom tells me this is even pre, like, my remembrance, uh, that they would stick me in front of that, and that I would then kind of conduct the music, um, and then after that, uh, what they did was they, they uh, there, there was always kind of a boombox around uh, someplace, and uh, there was usually music playing in the background, and I, I just learned to uh, love music, and then finally that big day came, it was my, uh, I believe my 12th birth, birthday, and uh, after uh, listening to my uh, music on my parents' devices and their boomboxes and everything, I finally got my own. And uh, I got it as uh, a present, and uh, there it was, my own player that I could play my own music on. And uh, it was great. My dad gave me a copy of, uh, along with the boombox, my dad gave me a copy of Van Halen's OU812. Um, which was in the Sammy Hagar era of Van Halen, if yeah, um, so kind of dicey there. But um, but ever since then, um, I I always loved listening to to music. And um, and for for those of us that are music nerds, we have these kind of high points in our lives where uh, we remember kind of firsts and things. And one of the firsts that I remember was when uh, this is really going to date me. Uh, one of the first that I remember was the, the first CD that I ever bought and, and played. Um, now CDs are, you know, kind of a thing of the past. Um, uh, but uh, my very first CD, and you all laugh at this, was the soundtrack to the movie Juice. It, it was um, uh, Tupac Shakur's cinematic debut. Um, it, it, it was kind of a, a hood gangster um, uh, movie, and, and the, the songs went along with that. Uh, it, it was uh, this, a, I loved it because it had a larger than normal parental, parental advisory explicit lyrics stick, sticker on it. Um, that, that was sort of a, you know, oh yeah, I can listen to this. Um, and uh, and it, it was really kind of some of my first foray into um, uh, this growing genre. Genre of gangster rap, uh, which which is in, an interesting thing in of, of itself. We can talk about NWA after the service. But but something that I noticed right around that time was that uh, I, I was listening to this stuff, and uh, so were some of my other friends. And and I always listened to a pretty a pretty vast variety of music. I was um, uh, never quite uh, honed in on just one thing. And uh, one of the things that I noticed was that some of my friends they only listened to you know, specific genres. And, and so I had like the metalhead friend, and the metalhead friend was the guy who listened to Pantera all day. 
and, uh, and was, was just really angry about everything and um, uh, it had a lot of drugs nearby. And, uh, and that was kind of my metalhead friend. And then I also had, like, my hip-hop friends. And my hip-hop friends, um, they were all pretty much white kids um, that, that saw the movie Juice and decided that that was going to be them. And so they co-opted, you know, sagging jeans and, and big starter hoodies and, and everything, and, and that's who they were. And then, I, you know, a little bit later on, you, you get the, the sort of industrial music scene, and you had the goth kids come out. And, you know, they, they just um, wanted to be very independent, and so they all wore black all of the time, um, uh, just like everybody else in their set. And what I found out was that, uh, at least when I was growing up, that I could tell something about who you were by the music that you listened to. That, that I could tell something about what your behavior was like because of the, the things that you were singing or the things that you had in your ears. And that's much the same way in these readings that we have here. Uh, these readings, uh, at least the first two, really have to do with songs. And they tell kind of an interesting story, at least uh, the reading from Zephaniah and the reading from the psalm. And those first two readings, they are stuck on either side of a big historical event. And that big historical event was that the people of Israel, specifically the tribe of Judah mostly, was taken off into exile into Babylon. And that was a very bad thing. Because if you were a good Jew, this was a promised land. This is what God had promised you. This is what was yours. And God had just taken that away because you had been naughty. Because you hadn't listened to what he had to say. Because you had made all of his church services and all of his sacrifices into a sham. And so what he said is, well, I'm going to teach you a lesson and I am going to take you away from this place where you sing a lot of songs. And that place where they sang a lot of songs was the temple in Jerusalem. And he said, you're going to go away from that place, and not only are you going to go away from it, but I'm going to level it. I'm going to destroy this. And so it was like God took your favorite music-playing device and went, smash, 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 and it's over. No more music for you. Now, sure, they could sing songs together, but it wasn't quite the same without the temple. And so this first reading is this reading from the prophet Zephaniah. And Zephaniah lived around the same time as the prophet Jeremiah, which probably means nothing to you. So let me explain that. Jeremiah's whole message, and therefore Zephaniah's whole message, because the message is coming from the same dude. It's coming from God the Father. And the whole message is this. I am going to make life horrible for you. You are going to wish that you had died. Some of you are actually going to die. I am going to send the Babylonians and the Assyrians in, and they are going to conquer your country, and they're going to take you off into Israel. But, and there's a big but in both of these books, and that is what we come up on here in Zephaniah. The rest of the book, it's like Trail of Tears stuff. It is, you know, really tough to read the first little bit of Zephaniah. But here, at the end of the book, in chapter 3, what you get is the same thing that you get in Jeremiah when God says, But there will be a time when you rejoice again. 
There will be a time when things are good again. There will be a time when there is reason to celebrate. And that's why Jeremiah, or that's why Zephaniah rather, says what he says. That uh, what is going on as we jump into this reading is that this is the point at which God is commanding the people of Israel. And his command is a simple command. His command is, sing. It's a great command, isn't it? It is a throaty command that just has all of this power behind it. If you think about what God is telling to his people, he's saying, your life is going to be horrible. You're going to go into exile. You're, you are going to go into prison. You are going to go into this place where it seems like I have forgotten you. But sing. Sing. O daughter of Zion, which was another word, another way of speaking of the city of Jerusalem. And so they do. They go off into exile and things feel like God has forsaken them. And they're wondering what the heck is going on here. And then finally, after 70 years, we know that the exiles are allowed to return back to Jerusalem. And as they are allowed to return back to Jerusalem, they get to the point where they they step into this, this space that they had only heard stories of, probably, because it's been a generation ago that they have left this space. And their parents have told them stories of what it's like, and those stories probably seem like they have no bearing in reality because when they come back to it, it's just ruins, and there are wild animals prowling around, and there are these people that are there who were not taken away by the Assyrians. And as the people of Judah are trying to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple, these people are coming up to them and and jeering at them and sneering at them and saying, Who are you, foreigner? What the heck is this? You're trying to rebuild this? That's a stupid idea. And that's what they're doing time and time again. And it's a very difficult place even when they return back. But maybe they they remember what Zephaniah said or, or maybe there's something else going on. But they're trying to figure out how to live Life again. They're trying to figure out how to be the people of Judah again, how to be the Israelites again. And so uh, what they're doing is they're trying to piece it together. Uh, the way that I think about this is, is this, that if uh, all of a sudden we burned all of the hymnals and the Bibles and the bulletins that uh, we have here and uh, took about a year or two off and then everybody came back together and we said, OK, we want to start worshiping again. How do we do that? Does anybody remember? And, and so then maybe somebody says, oh, well, I remember the pastor used to get up there and he used to start off with the invocation. Um, and it went something like, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody else would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I remember that too. And then um, somebody else would, would say, well, and then there's this Kyrie thing that we sometimes speak and sometimes sing. Um, oh, yeah, how did that tune go? And somebody hums it out. And that's what they're doing during this time. And what they're coming up in in their heads with is is, uh, this thing that they've been told about, this great king that they've been told about. And this great king, his name was David. And this great king's, uh, what what he did was not only be a great king, but he was also a fantastic 
songwriter. And he was like the songwriter of Israel. And so they said, well, David wrote songs for us to sing. And so if we're being the people of Israel all over again, well, then we should have songs to sing. And so then they went to these people called the Kohathites and they said, write us new songs, which right there tells you that they were not Lutheran. But they said, write us new songs. And Psalm 85 is one of those new songs. It's one of those songs that they wrote as they were returning to this land that God had promised to them and then taken away from them, but still with a promise that they would return. And now they were returned. And God said, they remembered, God said, Sing. So we need a song to sing. Well, that's kind of a picture of where we are when we return to this building week in and week out. If you look at the the song density of our service, it's pretty sing-songy. Uh, we, we come together and we sing. We, we take what God said through Zephaniah pretty seriously. And may, maybe sometimes we wonder, well, why do we sing so much? And it's because, in a way, for the same reason that those exiles sang. You see, we approach this place And we look at our lives and we see the destruction caused by the civil war that is going on between ourselves, the the sinner self that we have and the saint self that we have, that we are simultaneously both of those things and that there is a war happening inside of our bodies and it leaves carnage and destruction as we fall into sin and then uh, we try to move against that and then we try not to sin again and, and sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't but it leaves us a lot of times really really broken by the time that we come back here on a Sunday and really Really, really needing to rebuild the walls of our faith. And so like the people of Judah, like the people of Israel, we're building those walls and those walls aren't quite up yet. In fact, they won't be until Jesus comes back. But in that space, in the space of where we are with our lives being so destroyed by sin... God comes into our life and he gives us the same command that he gave through Zephaniah. He says, sing. Sing like the wall is up. Sing like the temple is renewed. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's a lot of work. Maybe there's a lot of forgiveness that you have to have yet. But sing Sing like it's done. Because in Jesus Christ it is. Because we can look at that cross. And while we look at the ruins of our lives, we can look at that cross and we can know that everything is done. That when he said it is finished, it is. 
And so God comes to us. And he says, I know you can't see it yet. But I know that you can sing it. I know that you can sing what it is to be my child living in the resurrection. I know that you can sing this out with all that is within you. And so that's what he has called us to do. But not only that. There's this special little bit in what Zephaniah has to say and in what God has to say through Zephaniah. Zephaniah does tell the people of Israel, sing. But then a little bit later on, he says this most beautiful thing, I think. He says that the Lord will sing over Israel. I don't know what it's like in your house, but in our house, we at times get kind of sing-songy. It's really weird, and I probably wouldn't do it if you were there. (laughs) But we sing over one another. And there's that image of, of what it is to sing over your beloved And that is what God has promised that he does to us, that he sings over us, that the bond that we have with him is so great and so perfect that what he can do, even in the midst of everything that is going on in our lives, that he not only commands us to sing, but that he sings over us. Amen.